Good morning, everybody. And uh, y'all continue just to be in prayer for uh, for Emily. We are excited about all God's doing in her life, and um, I know she would appreciate and cherish that. Uh, we this morning are uh, diving into our third week into Ephesians chapter four, uh, third week of small groups. And before I dive in, I just want to just talk real quick about those of you who are in small groups. And it's one of those <clears throat> things that so often when we get into groups that there's a level of excitement because of relationships or there's a level of like, oh, my gosh, this is uncomfortable because of relationships, because I don't know if you know this or not, but you've gotten to your third week and like personalities are now coming out. And some of them you're like, oh, that's that's special. Right. And so in the context of those who are special, what I find so often is that sometimes it can color or it can paint even negatively our experience in a group. And because we have a hard time pressing through and finding Jesus in the moment. But I want to I want you to recognize a lot of times it's this. That sometimes the most difficult people in our lives or those who are difficult personalities are God's gift to us to be those who sharpen us. Right. The idea in this is that we see it actually in the life of the disciples. You see a couple of things going on. I think number one. Like, Jesus had his own little small group of 12 guys, right? You had some women who were following also, but he had the 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And so in the context of these disciples, on one side you had Simon the Zealot, who basically was a terrorist, who basically said, all day long, all I want to do is I want to find Roman people and those who love Rome, those who are fighting on behalf of Rome, those who support Rome, let them know that I hate them and possibly I'll murder them in the name of Jesus, or through the name of God, right? And so you have that going on on one side. The flip side over here is you have Matthew the tax collector, who was a Jew, working on behalf of Rome to take advantage of and to steal from Jews. And so you take two people on opposite ends of the spectrum, and there you have them. And Jesus thought, oh my gosh, it would be perfect for the two of you and be to be in community together in tight knit family every day of your life. And I have a, I just have a guess that God placed them there to sharpen each other when they first thought by nature, I don't like you and I probably hate you. And so hopefully it's not that bad in your small groups. I'm just saying, right? Hopefully no terrorists in there, right? But the idea is this, that God said that is perfect. And I've always found it interesting that Jesus had a choice of his 12 and he chose Judas. He chose Judas, knew who he would be, that he would be a problem in the context of the, the, the disciples and all the small group and relationship that they're in. He would create tension in the context of the group and be this lightning rod but in the context that I have to believe it was ultimately God's purpose to place someone, to place these two guys in a relationship and to place Judas in the context of relationship. Because what we find in the midst of difficult relationships is that God uses those to bring out our patience, to bring out our perseverance, right? To bring out this love of neighbor when it's really, really difficult. And so I'm just sharing that with you this morning because I recognize some of you at this place of like, I just want to do a small group anymore. And some of it may be because of personality. And I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to, to really engage that and see what God is doing in the context of that. And recognize, man, if there's any relationship Jesus is probably in right now, it's in this one to challenge and to sharpen me into who he wants me to be. All right, so diving in this morning, <clears throat> we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verses 17 uh, through 32. And we're going to look at ultimately what I'm calling is Paul's instructions. Paul's instructions in the moment. We're going to dive into that. 
Before we do, I want to just lay a foundation from last week, basically a reminder, reminding you of what we talked about, because we can't speak about this week unless we're building upon last week. And so two of the primary verses we focused on and ended with were verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4, and they say this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. And so we said last week that we, God wants to move us from spiritual infancy and he wants to cause us to progress in the context of our spiritual life so that we become mature, yes, individually, but more importantly, that we become mature as the whole one body of Christ. That he wants us to grow with intentionality into us doing our part to grow the body. He says, I want you to leave being leave infancy as a body and to do your part to continue to grow into spiritual maturity as the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of that body. Verse 16. Right. And from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so we said last week, our responsibility, our work, the thing that God is calling you to do, me to do, hear this, in the context of your relationships within the body is to be honest but to do it in love because if we don't do that, Scripture is really clear, we won't grow. So he said, this is the work that you're called to do. You have to, in the context of your relationships, continue to be honest and hear this and let other people be honest and truthful with you about ways that I'm in sin. Someone needs to be honest and bring conviction in my life or someone needs to speak into my life. Hey, you did this and it hurt me. And so I want to be honest in that, but I'm doing it because I love you, not in spite And when we begin to do that, Scripture is very clear. All of a sudden, as each of you begin to be honest in love with one another, we grow. Which means if we, listen, if we are not honest, and if we aren't honest in love, then what happens? This does not grow into who God wants us to be. And so we each have to be doing our part of being honest, but do, listen, But doing it with grace, if you are honest and people all of a sudden and like and you do it in a really, really mean way, that's not like Jesus. Jesus, when he was honest, it caused people to listen, to be drawn to him. If you're honest and people are repelled from you again and again and again and again and again, that's not them. That's you. Right. And so we want to do it in such a way that is honest in love. And so it draws people into relationship and it causes us to grow together, leaving infancy and growing into adulthood. And so with that, then Paul says, all right, with that in mind, let me give you some instructions to help you grow into this body that I'm calling you to be. So we pick it up in verse 17, chapter 4. We're going to read a lot of verses here. So just follow along either on the screen or in your Bible. So it says this. So, so speak the truth in love and your family will grow. So I tell you this, and I insist on it. Like when I read in the Bible and it uses the word insist, that's rare. Okay. So when I see that, I go, I should probably press pause quick and go, all right, I need to 
get myself ready because Paul's insisting on something on behalf of Jesus. So I need to see what he's insisting on. So you take that hyper serious. So it says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity to the things of God, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, this Gentile life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's that language again. So he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands, they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So again, as we dive in this morning, I want you to have an image of instructions, right? An image of instructions. And you all know what instructions look like. They're usually paper. They're, they're a packet. And if you are, if you're parents who have children, right? If you're, if you're, and, and you, and along the way, you know what happened. Somewhere at Christmas, Santa Claus came, didn't have time to build the thing in the box. So he left it for you to build all night long in the wee hours of the morning. Thank you, Santa Claus, right? And so you would not more, you would build your bicycle for your kids. Right, you would come in like one time. We literally took an entire, um, like I ran and I put together an entire, um, what's it called, um, basketball goal. It was like ten feet tall, and we put it up in our living rooms. They have ceilings that tall, so the kids, when they woke up that morning, came down and saw it. Right, there's all these doll houses that we put together, like literally going to bed like six a.m. in the morning. Right, and so in this, right, we sit down. And we're like so tired. But in this moment, right, we, we open the box and what is sitting there? There is this instruction packet and we know there is a desired image of what these things are supposed to be. These are the instructions on how to create it. But right now it doesn't look like that at all. It's just a bunch of jumbled pieces. But in time, if I follow the instructions, I will reach the desired outcome. And so when Paul is looking at here, he's he's creating the same language. He says, all right, here's the desired outcome. He actually says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, be imitators of God. So what that means is, this is crazy, is Paul saying, what I'm expecting is that your life will look like Jesus. You are following instructions, so not so you'll look like me, but so that you will look like Jesus. 
That's crazy, I know, but Paul's saying, here are the instructions I want to give you in the context of your life, that if you will follow them, you will reach the image that you desire to reach. When I was, uh, when we were living in Orlando, we went to Costco one day. Costco's full of all sorts of goodies, right? And so one day we're walking through and we find one of those massive cedar playgrounds, right? That's literally sitting up there in Costco. And Randall looked at each other and says, oh my gosh, if we're going to be perfect parents, then perfect parents buy their children this cedar playground, right? I mean, it's just like as long as like from one end of this row, at least all the way to the other. And there was one of those cedar playgrounds, right? That on one side, like it was a slide and it had this rock wall with a rope going up and it had this thing on the back you could go down and it had this nice little house with a top and some windows and then it had this like on one it had like swings on it and all that type of stuff right like it was like really really cool so we do what every parent does who has no money they call the grandparents and said if you want to be perfect grandparents you will buy your children one of these costco cedar playgrounds right and so it's probably her mom says i want to be a perfect grandparent and we're like yes sold right and so she buys the cedar playground for us and it comes and we get it to her house and it's this it is like literally that's this big right but when we get it it's in a box like this wide and about this deep Literally full of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pieces need to know, like, I'm not known for mechanical prowess, right, in building things. Like, like this, that's not God's gift to me. So I look at it, and, and then Randall does her usual thing. Should we get somebody else to do this, Steve? And I'm like, no! I'm going to build this thing. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. Like, I'm sweating bullets. And I'm like, pretending like I've got this. What are you talking about? i got this, right? And so, so we literally, it's like, I open the box, and I'm like, my... So my heart starts beating. It's like there are literally every board is individual. There's no holes marking where the where the screws go. Like this is wrong. Like I've got to go buy a drill. Like it's just crazy. It's like I don't know what I'm doing here, right? But I'm like, I can. She's like, can you do it? I'm like, I can do it, right? Let me alone, woman. So anyway, so I keep on. So I start building. Literally on the side of my box. I mean, there's a picture. I just see your playground. Like, I literally, I prop it up, right? So I can always look at it, right? Just to, just to give me some courage and encouragement. It's going to happen, right? So literally, I'm just piece by piece. And then you have to recognize, like, I'm following the instructions. Like, I get the instructions. It's like 400 pages long, it feels like, right? And it's so big. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I like skip. I just skip to the end. I can't do that, right? So I'm like, literally, piece by piece. By peace. Literally every day. I mean, I get home from work and I spend hours doing this thing, right? We get to some point, I'm like, I can't even do this by myself. So I had to call two of our college students that we were working with at the time. I says, bro, y'all got to come. So like every, like I was like, we were buying them pizza and like stuff. And like, like for three days straight, they're coming up for hours at a time. And we're just laughing. Like we're such idiots, right? But we're building this thing at the very end, Joel, at the very end, I turn the last page and it says, you're done. And I look up and there's the playground. And Sarah and Anna Catherine, man, they come. We're like, it's time. They come running out, and their eyes are like this. And we know they can't really talk at a time, but we know they're thinking inside. They're the perfect parents, right? Like, this is beautiful. It's like, I'm like, babe, she looks just like the one in the box. I mean, what can I say, right? Like, it was amazing. Because the idea was simple. For me to go from beginning to finished product It required instructions that I would follow, and that's what Paul has done. 
He's literally coming in really in all of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and he's creating these instructions, these to-dos and not-to-dos, because if we want to truly reach the image of Jesus that's on the side of the box, you know what I mean, then we have these things that we're doing in this process, in this journey that we're on every day, because we have an image of Jesus that we're moving after and nothing less. And so Paul is coming in the moment and giving these instructions. So this morning, I'll break it down to three different sections in the context of these instructions that Paul is giving. The first one, 17 through 19. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Paul comes in, so I tell you this, and I insist on the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles doing the futility of their thinking. It's a really important phrase. They are dark in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity again to the things of God. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So the first thing I want you to hear me say in the context of, of the instructions, and it's real simple, he begins with the warning. Like, you remember when you open up any instructions, the first page you open, there's like always something with circles and a line through it. It's the things you're not supposed to do, right? Or it has like, it shows a picture of like protective eyewear, right? Who wears those, right? No, smart people, right? Not me. And so like protective eyewear, like it's the warning, the precaution, the caution thing, like be careful, don't do this and don't do this. It's all of these things. So Paul comes in and gives the warning, right? He gives them this reminder of their past life. He gives them the reminder as Gentiles, they used to once live in the futility of their thinking. The first challenge for Paul, he says, keep your thinking and the focus of your mind on the things of God. Hear this. The word that captures Paul's sentiment in 17 through 19 is the word futility. You should circle that in your Bibles. If you have a pen, you should circle or underline, whatever, highlight, whatever you do. Highlight the word futility. It speaks, it speaks to the Paul's heart. Because what it means is it means meaninglessness. It means, uh, means uselessness. It means worthlessness and emptiness. It's saying, listen, don't, don't live a life that has no meaning. Don't live a life that is useless to everyone around you. Don't live a life that is worthless in its impact. Don't live a life that is empty. That's how you used to live. And speaks to and Karl Barth, a theologian of the 1900s, probably one of the most important theologians of our day. He captures the heart of Paul's words in this quote. He says this, With one single word, Paul describes the majority of the inhabitants of the Greco-Roman Empire as aiming with silly methods at a meaningless goal. Like when I wrote that down, I, I bolded, aiming with silly methods at a meaningless goal. Like the thing we have to recognize is do you recognize the futility, the meaninglessness, the, 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 the uselessness of your old way of thinking? Like do you remember that moment that you went from this, this, old, this futility mindset, this life that you were living, all of a sudden, and there was a shift 
into relationship with Jesus and all of a sudden meaning and usefulness and purpose of why you existed all of a sudden was birthed and that became the only thing or at least the primary thing that you went after. And he's saying to them, like, you remember that moment. You remember when you used to live in the futility of your thinking and how you shifted, but he's speaking it. Why? Because he knows how easy it is to fall back into a life without meaning. Actions of our life every day without purpose, without usefulness. Like if we're really honest in the moment, we have to ask the question, what about us? Like, what area of your life do you recognize that you used to think this way, but by God's grace and by your salvation, you have left that way of thinking and you now give yourself to a life every day that you go to bed confident that you pursued the purposes and the meaning of God in all of your actions and activity of the day. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, followers of Christ, that's what you did. You left this, and now you're this. So let's just, can let's remember that. And let's not go back. He's not trying to say it to be mean. Like, let's see a show of hands. How many of you hope that your life has no meaning, has no purpose, and is completely useless when you die? Raise your hands really high and proud. None of us are longing for that. He's saying, leave that. And you're like, because I want to. That's why you didn't raise your hand. So it's with great courage and with great compassion, he's saying to them and to us, recognize and remember, leave it and never go back. That's his first warning. He then steps in to verses 20 through 24. I'm going to read that to you again. It says this, that, however... Is not So that life of futility, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that's in Jesus. This is what you were taught. These were the instructions he gave you. You were instructed, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self, created to be like God. Press pause, remember? You're created not to be like Paul, not to be like Steve, not to be like your neighbor, but you were created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. And so what we see Paul focusing on here is this, the body of the 400-page instruction document that I had. It's real, he's just giving simple, ongoing instructions. This is what he's calling you to. All right. I've got to be aware of this futile way of thinking. That's the warning. And there are three things he's calling me to do right here. One, put off the old self. Two, to be made new in my mind. And three, to put on the new self. Do you see that? His ongoing instructions, put off the old self. Be made new in your mind and put on the new self. It speaks to the expectation. Hear this. It speaks to the expectation of ongoing transformation in an individual. Think about this real quick. Sarah's over here. Sarah, where are you, babe? Right there. This is Sarah back here. She's my daughter, right? So if we're in Orlando and I build one quarter of, my, of her playground 
do you think when she walks out and looks at it, she's going to be happy? No. She walked out and said, where's the slide? The swings were laying on the ground. She's like, I just want to go for a swing, Dad. Come on, like, finish the thing. Right? No one, no one gets through a quarter of the instructions and says, I'm done. At least too smart and has some sanity in their life, right? No, they were to finish the instructions. And so Paul's coming in the moment saying, listen, yes, you had a moment of starting the journey. You had a moment of leaving your futile thinking. But you now have a journey into God-likeness that you have to continue every day to invest into along the journey until you reach the image on the side of the box. It represents the ongoing journey of your faith walk with Jesus. So Paul's decisive act is something they learn, they put into motion, and it's something they choose to keep in motion on a daily basis. And so that's great for us, right? We should ask ourselves, huh, am I every day doing this as an ongoing transformation into the image of Jesus because I'm not comfortable living my life useless and without meaning, without purpose. Is there intentionality in your life in this? And so he says, all right, first thing to do, here's the first instruction. Everybody, ready? Here we go. Like you're sitting there in Paul's, like you're sitting there in like boot camp with Paul. He's like, all right, here's the first thing we're doing. If you pull out the instructions, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to put off your old self. Okay, put off old self, right? It speaks to the human self without God. We're deluded. We're in a downward spiral living for self. Paul recognizes the place they came from and he's reminded them of that place and he's instructed them to continue keeping, putting it off. Like every day we're recognizing old self, old patterns of thoughts. Like, do you remember those? Do you remember your addictions? Do you remember your pride? Do you remember your selfishness? Do you remember that pattern of life that only thought about self and never about anybody else? Like, do you remember that futile way of thinking that literally accomplished something? Because everything that you did in your hobbies and with your passions was ultimately to gratify something of desire inside of your own hearts. Rather than saying, what do I do that, that's the desire of God's heart, that helps meet the needs of others, the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor? Are you putting off your old self that loves self, doesn't think about God? Are you putting on the new self that loves God and thinks about others? So he's saying, be aware of your old self and just choose every day to lay it down. You've gone down into death with Christ. You put on a new life in Christ. So the second thing is this, be made new in your minds. All right, that's instruction number two, be made new in my mind. It speaks to the ongoing work, again, of the Holy Spirit transforming us into Christ's likeness as we submit ourselves to his will and, listen, allow his thoughts to overtake our thoughts. Think about it. There are thoughts that you have. There are thoughts that God has. Which ones define your life primarily? Some of the things we always talk about that we do to engage this is we, we do this by engaging an effective prayer life of, of communicating with, of like throwing the ball with Jesus, 
Right? Communication and prayer is like throwing the ball with Jesus. Communication is I throw the ball to Jesus, and then I receive, I get, get ready to receive back from him what he's throwing back. Right? I throw in conversation to Jesus, and then I listen in return what he's speaking. I, con- I engage uh, in my life by reading scripture and being, giving time to it and meditate on it. Think about it all day long because there are things in my mind and God wants to remove those. We, just, we do this by being in relationship. Listen, by being in relationship with people who speak life over us and they encourage us in the faith. People that we're around who speak life. And they, listen, I'm a, I, I have chosen in life again and again to put myself around people who I know when I'm with them, they're so Christ-like in their actions that I leave being with them and the fragrance of Jesus is still on me. Are you aware of people who in your life they produce the fragrance of Jesus and when you leave, you look, act, sound, and smell like Jesus? I remember being just post-college. I've told the story a hundred times. Being with a group of guy friends, and I left, and I felt like, duh. So, mm, just kind of felt uneasy. And I went and literally found a buddy of mine who I knew radiated Jesus. And I spent 15 minutes with him, and I left and said, oh, Jesus, you just washed over me in the context of a relationship of somebody who knows you and loves you. We're putting on these new thoughts. We do this by engaging these things. One of the things, I talk to guys all the time, like uh, husbands. Talk to husbands all the time. We have this conversation again and again and again. Almost to a person, 99 out of 100 say, oh my gosh, my wife is so hot. Right? That's the words we use. I apologize. Right? They're very attractive. I, I find my wife to be desirable. Right? She is very good looking. And they always say, I just don't know why she can't see her beauty. All she ever does is talks about how ugly she is. She talks about her wrinkles, talks about her muffin top. She talks about that extra weight somewhere she wished that it was. That she won't even get naked in front of me because that's just like that. Because she doesn't be naked in front of me, right? And I, I just say, well, God said be naked and unashamed, right? This idea because God created us. And they're like, why do they have this view of self that is not what I think and definitely not what God thinks because he created and knew their body type? Does that hit too home, too close to home? Because we believe lies all the time about ourselves emotionally and physically and mentally that we're just not smart. We're just too dumb. We're not pretty enough. We're not cool enough. Who cares? Because it's a lie. It's not God. So we have to let him renew our minds. And listen, women, every single one of you should parade your naked body around and say, look what God made. Human is good. Every guy's like, bless him, Lord. Mm, Jesus, preach. Mm. But here's the point. Like, that's funny. But, but you get it, don't you? You get it. We believe lies of culture every day that are just not from him, that destroy our own personal identity and who we are in Christ. And they could be lots of things. 
You get around somebody who's a better Christian than you. Do you know who never uses that term? Jesus. He never uses the phrase better Christian. Never. He looks down and says, let me tell you. He'd be happy to tell you what he thinks about you. And I told you that song before, Mr. Edwards. Jesus, here I am, your favorite one. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I have to know. Like, I want to live in the context of saying, man, look what God just did with this. Masterpiece. (laughs) We have to be made new in our minds. And every day you're asking the question, who am I believing today? Who am I believing? The third thing is put on the new self. Put on the new self. It speaks to a past tense moment, right? Of stepping into a new life. However, however, past tense expectations lead to a present tense expectations of continuing to choose the renewal of self. And the idea of, listen, this is a really important. The idea of a new self is not speaking, it's not speaking about your behaviors. Have right behaviors. No, he's like, you know, it's a new self. You've gone down into, into death and been raised to a new life. You were a new self. And then what does a new self do? Convicted by who God is, loving God, loving neighbor, living in confidence of those things. Listen, it re- leads to right behavior. So our behaviors can be assigned to us if the new life has been built, in, built up inside of us. So behaviors are helpful to point to the fact that, there is a, that we are a new self. So if I have unhealthy behaviors, it means that I have not really stepping into my new self. But if I have a new self, it tr- and I engage my new self, who I am in Christ, a child of the king, as I step into those realities, Paul's saying, then it will just lead to right behavior. It will lead to right behavior. And so are we giving ourselves to this, this new self, this new reality in time? The things of God as we build this new self, they become a natural response Versus something that we find ourselves desperately trying to choose. The idea of like, God, I put on my new self. I put on right thinking. I put on right beliefs. I am a child of God. I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to me. And everything that is described in this image of who Jesus is and the picture on the side of the box, that is who I am by God's grace. Remember, you can't do any of that apart from Ephesians 1 through 3, being empowered by God's Spirit into those things. But it's who we are, which leads to the third piece, and I love this. It's now Paul saying, all right, here, here are the behaviors. Here are the expressions of what the new self looks like. And he, he gives specific things like things we put off and things that we put on. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to go through this list pretty quickly. It's basically 25 through 31. You can put it on the screen for me. Go. Verse 25, he says... Put off lying and put on truth-telling. Real simple. Put off lying. Like that can mean put off lying about yourself and who you are and put on the truth of who God says you are. Right? Put off, put off lying, literally lying to other people and being dishonest by not being honest with them. Because if you're, listen, if you're not honest and truthful with somebody, there's only one alternative And it's lying and dishonesty. So put off lying and put on being honest, being telling the truth in love. Second thing is this, verse 26. Put off anger as sin and put on healthy anger. 
Listen, getting angry is not a sin. However, anger that attacks others, that turns into bitterness and does not forgive others for their offense, that's a sin. So if you get offended in a moment and you get angry and you don't work through that, you don't process, you're not honest, and you don't forgive and bitterness, then all of a sudden anger becomes a sin. How do we cause anger to not fall into sin? Is I'm honest in the moment, I, I handle it, I deal with it, and I move forward. And the idea of this in anger is that someone offends you and you have to forgive them I recognize here this, that sometimes an offense is so large that I may forgive in a moment and then spend the next 10 years fleshing that forgiveness out because it was such a grievous sin against me. But I am choosing in that moment to not choose the sin of bitterness, to not choose the sin of offense, to not choose the sin of harboring bitterness, but to say, God, I can't in my own strength, but by your strength, I will forgive. Help me to continue to engage and embrace forgiveness every day so I don't fall into the sin of bitterness and offense. The verse 28, put off stealing and put on work so that you can share. So obviously means Stop walking into convenience stores and stealing something. That's one, just one practical part, right? Start working. But more importantly, actually what it's meaning is don't hoard what's been given to you and steal the blessing that you were to be to others. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, if you're walking to the desert and someone gives you a gift of a 50-gallon drum of water and all there's 50 people along with you, who is that gift for? Just for you or for you and the other 50? You all know it's for you and the 50, other 50. And so if that's the case, then if you go, man, sure, I got 50 uh, gallons of water, loving my water as you walk off and die of dehydration, then you have stolen life from those by a gift that's been given you. And so if you are hoarding your skills, hoarding your talents, Hoarding your abilities, you are stealing from others the reality of you being the rock that they're building on and being a blessing and giving the gifts of God that have been given to you into their lives. Stop stealing so you can be a blessing to others, it's saying. The next thing is uh, verse 29. Put off unwholesome talk and put on healthy talk, talk that builds others. Like what this is specifically talking about is that when you get into relationships, that you, listen, you don't spend the, listen, please pay attention. All the youth look up at me. There's no phones here. Get off your phones. In your life, everyone's looking at me. Don't look at your neighbor. In your life, your tongue has power to bless or to curse. You're either in your school blessing or cursing people. You're either engaging in producing life or producing death. And so what Paul is saying in this moment is like, make sure that your words are something that's building up and not tearing down. You're not living to speak to build yourself up, but to build others up. Listen, I'll never forget that moment in my life where I got convicted because I realized, hear this, I'm so competitive and I had such a maybe a low view of self at some point in my life where I began to think if someone was more powerful and more gifted than me, then I received it as a threat. And when I would get around them, I would look for all their faults 
or I'd ask other people who knew them in an underhanded way about their faults so that I could then lower them and build myself up in my mind to be better than them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever lived with a critical eye for the purpose of building yourself up because you're threatened by who, how great this person is? I mean, in that moment, right, what am I doing? I'm literally tearing people down with my thoughts and my words to lower them, to build myself up, right? That is unwholesome. I'm to live my life celebrating people. Like, it's why literally, I've told stories, I mean, again, I would, listen, if, if Vintage is the smallest church in our community, and every other church grew and grew and grew. You can ask anybody I've talked to about this. This is an absolute true statement. And they grew and grew and grew, being blessed by God. You know what I do? That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm not going to be competitive in the kingdom. That's stupid. Man, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to build up. I'm not going to try to tear down some pastor. I'm not going to spend all my time trying to pair, pair, I'm not going to try to tear down my neighbor. I'm not going to tear down my spouse. I'm not going to tear down my children. I'm not going to tear down some pastor who offended me or failed because that's just what we do. I'm going to pray for them and build them up because I want them to know Jesus even more. Don't spend your time in unwholesome talk, tearing other people down at your work. Don't ever say a negative word about your boss. Ever, you build him up as Jesus sees him or her. How do we know that we are mature? How do we know we're putting off the old self? Then we do that. Verse 30 says, put off grieving the Holy Spirit and put on pleasing the Holy Spirit. The thing I want you to recognize is this. That verse is directly attached to verse 31. We're going to look at it in a second. But I want to separate the verse this morning because I want you to recognize the Holy Spirit is a person with feelings and emotions that you can hurt and that you can grieve. He's a person who you can hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings as you get your feelings hurt when someone does what? Verse 31. Who speaks with bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. Like he's saying, you've got to put off all bitterness, all rage, anger, brawling, slander and malice. And what do you do and put on? You put on kindness, compassion and forgiveness. Hear this. Everyone, this, is, this is awesome. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Verse 31 says, by the way that you treat other people. That's what it says. How do you grieve and hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings and cause him to feel this brokenness like we do with our emotions? Then you, in the context of your relationships, express bitterness and rage and anger as sin, brawling, slander, talking bad about people, tearing them down to build yourself up, and malice. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we engage the depth of the Holy Spirit and please him in the context of our relationships? You put on kindness. You put on compassion and you put on forgiveness. All traits that grow relationship within the body of Christ. We are to move from infancy to Christ likeness. It is the image on the side of the box. 
And we are to put off the old self to renew our minds and put on the new self every day so we're not stopping along the journey and only getting poor Sarah a half of the playground done. But we are engaging all of these pieces, engaging them on a deep level, and giving ourselves to follow the instructions of the Lord. How? Chapters 1 and 3. God, I can't, but by your power, through the Holy Spirit in me, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your presence. God, we're thankful for your investment, Lord. God, even this week, I just was so convicted by you being the chief shepherd. And all of us are just under shepherds. God, you were in control. You are leading. You are guiding. You are the one who's ultimately directing. And so, Father, we're asking this morning, would you continue to awaken and to shape us in Jesus' name? Would you continue to challenge us, Lord, and create in us the image of Jesus that you want us to be? And I pray this morning for those, God, who are being too hard on themselves, you'd help them to be, give themselves grace. And for those who are not being honest enough, I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning about where they are in the context of this journey of putting off the old self, being renewed in mind, putting on the new self, and recognizing their behavior to see if it's in fitting with a Christ-likeness. So thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.